Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. October week two, we are here and we're going to talk about some nice trash and probably the most famous garage band ever. I'm Takeshi. With me, I have Santos. And today uh, we are going to talk about Vampire Night. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is a dark fantasy Romance Supernatural. It was originally written by Matsuri Hino. Hino Matsuri. Hino Matsuri. Matsuri Hino. <laughs> Hino. It's written by her. She's also done Wanted, Captive Hearts, and Vampire Nights, mostly. Born January 24th, <laughs> but they don't give a year because... You know, <laughs> they don't tell ladies' ages in Japan. That's <laughs> um, just how. She's trying to stay mysterious. Yeah, mysterious. Exactly. It is a shoujo, which is, it was in shoujo beat. Let's look up what sojo means. Shoujo manga, it's mostly for females, specifically for girls, known as shoujo. It was appeared in 1902, founding Shoujo Kai. There we go. Yeah, there's a lot of history on it. I don't want to get too deep into it because that would be a whole entire other thing that we'd be talking about. So the manga was released in November 24th, 2004, and it went till May 24th of 2013 is 19 volumes. The anime was released April 7th of 2008, and it went till June 30th of 2008. That's the first one, which is 13 episodes. And then the second part, because it is two seasons, Vampire Night Guilty, 
was released October 6th of 2008 and went till December 29th of 2008. And that is also 13 episodes. It was directed by Kyoko Sayama. Kyoko Sayama. So the last, the first part was Sayama. And it was written by Mari Okada. Okada Maro. Okada Maro. All right. Mari Okada. Damn it. <laughs> mine is so fast and like very like condensed sounding. And then the English one is like so long. Well, like, let, it's let's so see. I think like, the second longer. one is always slower. Okada Maro. Okay, one more. Okada Maro. Nope. All right. We tried. <laughs> Okada Maro. That's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was done at Studio Dean. There is also another one called Vampire Night Memories. It's a manga. Same writer, same publisher. It's a shoujo. And that was released in June 10th of 2016. It is still going. And it is four volumes. You have a lot of Vampire Night if you really need it. <laughs> Since it hasn't even ended yet. You kind of watched more of this than I did. Oh my god. <laughs> I watched a freakish amount of this show. <laughs> uh, it was I was able to put it on in the background. <laughs> and I was staying up late to finish some other things. So I just had it going, if that makes sense. So I didn't feel like I had to put full attention on it. I watched the whole season. <laughs> Shut the f*** up. Did you watch all 26 episodes? No, I meant I watched the first one plus the f- first one of the second season. So I watched 14 episodes. <laughs> you might have a better description for this yeah, one than me. If so you could kind of go through it or if you want, I could try. I would love to. First, <laughs> first, I didn't get to ask my question though. Takeshi... What is goth? <laughs> I'm sorry. The whole show opens up with a, a little girl <laughs> asking weird questions about colors. You know, I don't even remember that. Yeah, it's like this little girl in the snow and she's like, what is snow? And they're like, it's not. Anyways, it's ridiculous. This is a soap opera. So yes. it's super soapy. It's very vampire There's a school some sort of boarding type school situation going on. There's the day school with the regular kids, human kids. And then there's a night school, which is the vampire teenagers. Not everybody knows they're vampires. I think they're kind of put off as being like, I don't know, famous or rich or something. They look beautiful. Yeah, they're very beautiful. But I don't know what the other students think they are. Yeah, supposedly they don't know they're vampires. Yeah. At all. They just think they're these beautiful people that attend night class. Well, one's a model. So I'm like, is it kind of like, oh, they work during the day. So they have night school because they're like these elite modely type teenagers, whatever. That's thin. So it's a soap opera. So it's like, don't think too much about it. So there's night school and day school. And then the main character is Yuki, a girl who I was describing in the beginning. She was very young and she was attacked by a vampire and at the same time then saved by a vampire. (laughs) So a vampire saved her life from another vampire. That was her introduction to vampires when she's a little girl. Yeah. And she says in the beginning, whatever you do, do not gaze into a vampire's eyes. (laughs) 
weird little girl voice. It's so funny. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't gaze into your vampire's eyes because you will fall in love. Yeah, something. it's crazy. And I love it because I like to use that because she asks all these silly questions. What is red? And so now I ask that question. <laughs> what is dinner? <laughs> uh, so, um, so that's Yuki. And so she doesn't have a memory of where she came from or her parents. She's being raised by the headmaster of the school. And she is one of two students who are like in the disciplinary committee. So they kind of police the kids to stay away from the night school kids. They're kind of like night school security. Yeah. And it's called the Cross Academy. Mm, good detail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. The headmaster, I noticed the tropes. Like I noticed some of the stereotypes and things that come through. And the headmaster is a guy and he is adopted Yuki and so wants her to call him dad, but she never really does. I think his name is Kayan Cross, actually. Yeah, but he is like kind of stereotypically gay. Like he's kind of femme and silly. Like they kind of don't take him seriously at times. Like he seems like a straightforward headmaster, but then he's kind of silly and like girly. Yeah, feminine, definitely. Uh-huh. Are any of the voice actors the same from other shows? One of them sounds like somebody from Fruits Basket. Yes. He sounds like, ah, I can't remember the, the dog's name. Yes, exactly. That's what I was like. I was like, there's some voice actors from Fruits Basket in this because either they have the same kind of tone or it is the exact same actor. And then the other person with Yuki is, is it Zero? Yeah. Zero. Yeah. And he's a boy and he was also taken in by the headmaster as a kid and his family was slaughtered by a vampire. And so he hates vampires. <laughs> Yuki is very positive about the vampires because a vampire saved her life and she remained close with him. What's his name? Kaname. And he's like the prince of the vampires in the school. It's kind of like Lord Kanome and everyone respects him. And he kind of, he keeps the vampire side in line. So there's like this humans vampire kind of like peace treaty going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And Kaname is a pure vampire. And to the extent mm-hmm. that he's never even tasted blood before. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that detail. Oh, see, that's why you're not supposed to do things while you watch TV. But <laughs> Here, you watched more than I did, but I kind of know a little bit more detail You got some details here. that are good. Yeah, so what I thought was interesting, maybe you'll be able to fill me in on this. There is the pureblood vampires. Then there's the aristocrat vampires. Yeah, I don't get that part. Okay, they never explain that. Okay, so pureblood vampires are like the original vampires or something like that, where they are like born as vampires, I think. That's the impression I got too. And they have like extra powers of some sort, like they're kind of powerful creatures. And then the aristocrats are just as powerful because they're like freezing things up and setting things on fire. But I don't know why they're only considered aristocrats because the next level of vampire is level E. That's the lower level of vampires. The lowest level. But they said that's a vampire was a human turned into a vampire can then degrade into a level E, which is like a really bloodthirsty, monstery type 
vampire. Yeah, I would say it's almost like the zombie of vampires because they lose control and all they do is thirst for blood. Yeah. And so I was just curious, like, well, the aristocrats aren't there. So how did they not end up as they don't explain? There's not a lot of backstory on some of these things. But there's lots of fun subplots and like like relationships. It's very love triangly between Yuki and Zero and Lord Kaname. So there's that kind of tension going. Because he, he saved her life when she's a little girl and has always cared for her. Yeah, she's very special to him. Mm-hmm. But they don't really explain why. Zero's kind of sour. Like he's got a sour kind of like downer attitude and for some reason Yuki feels like she needs to like keep him uplifted and so she really cares about him as a friend it seemed like mostly but there's something there as well because they're very close (laughs) even though he's sour like at certain points I'm like geez like yeah what a sour puss like what a little (laughs) who cares like I do not you start losing it for him it's like who cares and so there's just this drama between the vampire side and the human side and i don't know how much you want me to give away because there's a lot of different weird things okay so zero's lineage is vampire hunters yes. and so the fact that he survived this one big vampire massacre and he's slowly turning into a vampire so we could just bust that one that's good. Yeah, because they kind of have to know that because that's what complicates it. But they don't want to put him in the night school for some reason. They want to keep him in with the regular students and not tell anybody. Okay, well, first off, he hates vampires with a burning passion. That's true. <laughs> and so the problem is, is that he can't stand vampires. He'd rather be dead than be a vampire. And that's what he's turning into is a vampire. And he's not even a good vampire. He'd rather just be dead than be a vampire. That's the whole entire point of it. And so like Yuki is trying to keep him alive and tempt him in certain ways with blood and all this other crap. And because he's turning into a class E vampire, but it seems like so far of what I watched, he might not actually be a classy. He might be a different form of a vampire. Yeah, I don't know. Like they're not getting into that as much, except that he can slip into that class Eve over time if he doesn't work on it. Like they don't know how to slow it down. They're trying their best to slow it down. But then, yeah, there's elements that could probably have helped him that get foiled. And and yeah, he would rather die. And he even tasked Yuki with like, you kill me the minute I hit like a certain level. <laughs> like, here's a gun. You just take me out. Like he'd rather her kill him, which I think is very odd because she's not someone who would murder or want to take a life. So I think she's a bad choice. But if he gave it to anyone else, they'd probably just kill him because I would have, I would have been like, yeah, sounds, looks like you're going, because he's got a bad attitude. It's like, then just leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get the f- out of here. He's so mean to that girl with glasses who's like, hi, can you dance with me? And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh, that girl is so nice. The one with the glasses, yeah. Yeah. She so tried nice to give him chocolates and everything, and he just says, mm-hmm. no, go away. Well, he was kind of converting into a vampire, so I get it. Okay, so the reason why I think he's different than a, like than turning into a class E is because they mentioned it in one line where like certain vampires won't turn into a class E because they're special and they can't actually stand the taste and the smell of blood. 
And the fact that he can't take his own tablets makes me think that he could actually turn oh, into something else. Yeah, he's like rejects the blood tablets. Because, okay, so the vampires aren't like feasting on people through this. They're taking blood tablets. They're trying to be a little more up and up. The only ones who are really feasting on people are the class E vampires. And that's what you'll see in the show being killed and hunted still. Yes. Um <sighs> I had a hard time with this one. Like I watched it last year just to see if it would be a good Gothtober one. And at the time I thought it was such trash. I was like, okay, you know what? I've seen Vampire Night. I could stop. And I stopped at the exact same point as I did last Which time. Which episode? Episode seven. Oh, you get pretty far though. You give it a good chance. That's like half of it. Half a season. Half a season. I might give it a chance. Like, I know we are going to have a redemption episode where we pick either a, an album to listen to again and an animated. And so this might be it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think this is trash. I love it because it's trash. It's kind of so bad. It's good. Like, I don't think they realize how campy they are. It would be nice if it was a little more tongue in cheek, but it's not. It's so not. For me, it's fun because I'm like, this is such a soap opera. There's even like, you know, in soap operas, there's always like a twin, like that kind of shows yes. up at some point. There's always someone pretending in a disguise to be someone else to trick people that's in there. There's like, you know, soirees and balls and like just ridiculousness. And there's this like dramatic, romantic close-ups between Yuki and like Lord Kanume and just all that craziness. So it's like really, to me, it's like, yeah, if you want to just watch some good, trashy, soapy, vampy stuff, like this is Oh it. yeah, this is definitely it. And it's definitely goth. I mean, God damn it. It is so goth, but in this weird, campy way. Okay, the problem I have with the series is the main character, Yuki. She is such a wet dish rag of a character once again, whereas she just like, well, try to protect Zero. I get why she wants to protect Zero because she was the one that took care of him when he first got after the massacre and stuff. But for her to be like feeding him blood just because she feels bad for him, and she's such a weak character. Because her true, she knows who she really loves. And so it is kind of like this weird sense of duty. And it is kind of odd that she's like, oh, do you want some blood? Would that make you feel better? And he fucking hates feeding off her anyways. Like he makes him uncomfortable. And he's trying to resist it. That's the thing. Like he wants to be human and her feeding him blood is just like, you're not doing any good right now. You're just making it worse. Yeah. I feel like they wanted her to be kind of like a Toru Honda character. I feel like she's like kind of like a smush between a few different types of characters. And that's why she doesn't necessarily work because she's a little bit weirdly passive, but then she's not in other areas. I feel like there's a couple of different things going on and that's why she's not like a super strong character. Yeah. And that's like the biggest problem with it I have with it is just like she never shows any backbone and she is more of this character that just like <sighs> and just like passes out or some guy has to like protect her or save her. <laughs> she I, is, I, every uh, now and then she's like can jump off a wall and like go to hit something like she's kind of tough in some ways she has the ability but you're right she does very much like just she's very passive she's very self-sacrificing but to the point of like you're just like that wasn't for the right reason 
and that's what angered me about the series was her. I could handle this emo zero guy and <laughs> right. And Kaname and all the other cast of characters, it was her. I was actually sitting and watching the anime. And so for me to sit through this character and me wanting like this reach through the screen and strangle her because she's just like, ah, let me just help you. Ah. What is red? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I want to know, she's got like that amnesia thing going again, another soap opera kind of thing. There's amnesia. I need to know what happens. I watch it while doing other things. So I'm not as like <laughs> attached to the character. There's lots of like, you know, romantic stuff, but nothing goes real far at this point. There's blood sucking, but there's not any kissing, which is interesting. Yeah. There is a scene. Did you get to it? You might have to cut this out. I'll tell you after. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to want to like record it because it's just giving more details and scenes. And I don't know if anyone cares or people might want to watch it and have the surprise for themselves. Because that's the fun part about soap operas or the ridiculous twists and turns they take. I'm going to try to like sit through it. (laughs) I will give you the cliff notes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is very goth. And I think most people, if you're into the soap operas, which I watched one with my mom. (laughs) (laughs) My mom's been watching Sam soap opera for about 40 years now. I think you would like this. It has a lot of style and all the other goofy stuff to it but (sighs) and it's not as high school i thought it was gonna be like oh a high school and there's class time and stuff but they definitely spend more time on the relationship between humans and vampires and vampire slayers there's some of this stuff but it's not the same so i thought it was gonna be more school orientated i didn't really notice that Definitely. I recommend it for Gothtober. It's easy. It's not super gory or anything like that. Definitely. It's not gory. There is a little action here and there. The characters are really goofy in a way. And I dig that. They are super goth. Even Zero, even though he's trying not to be goth, he's pretty goth. He is probably the most goth one. Yeah, totally. Emo goth. He definitely had a hot topic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, definitely check it out for Gothtober. Yes. We'll be back in just a moment. Storygram Network. Hello, welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm your host, Takeshi, and with me I have Santos, and we take two pieces of media, and we take a deep dive on them. Kind of. We just talk about it. Kind of. Hi, my name is Laura Lee. And this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. We sip our cares Storygram Network. Yes, we are back. Gothtober is still here. We're going to talk about, to me, one of the most well-known garage bands, post-punk bands, a new wave. 
gothic rock legendary bands ever. And they only had two studio albums, actually, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. This was the last album that was released. We are going to talk about Closer by Joy Division, which was released July 18th of 1980, and it was recorded March of 1980. It was recorded at Britannia Row Studios, I guess. It was produced by Martin Hannett, and he is a trippy guy. He was a producer for Factory Records and a whole bunch of other ones. He died at age 42, probably from heart complications because he was a nutcase. <laughs> Total nutcase, I'm telling you the truth. Not only did he record Joy Division, he's recorded New Order, The Basement Five, John Cooper, Psychedelic Furs, Stone Roses. Yeah, he's done a lot. So if nobody knows and they lived under a rock, after Ian Curtis took his life, the remaining members turned into like New Order, which became this really big electronic pop band, I guess. Okay, so I feel like we should get into like the history of Joy Division. (laughs) You're like, where to start? Where to start? I just want to point out that I pushed for this album because I like the song Isolation, but I didn't (laughs) know the rest of the album. And she's like, it's dark. And I was like, no, it's not. Isolation is like the best song ever. I dance to it every day. And then anyways, um, I listened to it and it's dark. It's a dark album, so I agree with Takeshi when he said that. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so there are some pretty good documentaries, or there is a really good documentary about Joy Division. It's the remaining members of Joy Division talking about the history and how it all happened. And I think it's actually available on YouTube. That's where I watched it. (laughs) It's called, hold on here. It's called Joy Division Documentary Film. (laughs) It's gotten creative. (laughs) And it's actually really, really, really good. It was released in 2008. Highly recommend it if you're like interested in that stuff. It's kind of sad because there was this other, there was this guy who made a really interesting understanding or deep dive into Ian Curtis. It was on Lie Likes Music on YouTube. And it got taken down. So I don't know what happened to it, but we'll get more into that too. Because uh, Ian Curtis is a pretty fascinating guy. Joy Division never really made it huge, pop big, or anything. They're around from, it says here, 1976 to 1980. They're known as Warsaw named after a David Bowie song from 1977 to 1978. Supposedly, it was Jen P. who gave him that name, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. (laughs) That's all like rumor nowadays. So they are from Manchester. Manchester back in the 70s, was more of a industrial town and it was a very kind of poor town. When you think of Manchester nowadays, it's a little bit different, I think. You think of it more as like kind of a nice little touristy town or something along that line and where people like to go to eat food and drink tea or something like that. <laughs> so, but it was very different back then. The way they formed 
and a couple other bands formed is they actually happened to see a certain band at a show and it inspired them so much that they decided that, oh, well, if these guys could do it, so can we. And it was documented that it formed like a couple different bands. And this was the first band that inspired because of this one show. Do you know who the band was? No. It was the Sex Pistols. Oh, yes. Then I do know. I do think I've heard that before. Well, yeah, because look at them. They're probably a mess. It was like, uh, yeah, we got this. <laughs> None of them really knew how to play an instrument. I heard Peter Hook like spent like maybe 30 bucks or from back then to buy a bass. And they just enlisted Ian Curtis because he was really good at poetry. And so that's why it's more called post-punk because after the punk revolution or something like that then there's this post-punk so there's also groups including like Susie and the Banshee, uh, Public Image, LTE, The Pop Group, Cabaret Volatar, Magazine, Talking Heads, even The Cure is all considered post-punk and then that also turned into goth but you see even at that time I don't think Joy Division even knew what goth was yeah, when I don't know what the timeline is on that because I feel like I read something with uh, with Patricia Morrison from Sisters of Mercy. She talked about being goth or what goth is at one point in the interview. So, but I don't know how far along Sisters of Mercy were in the timeline of things. But it's supposedly, like the very first goth band that was all out, like we are goth or whatever, is Bauhaus. You could consider, like, even, uh, what was the name of that one band? Oh, my goodness. I can't remember the name of the band. They did the song Heroin. The Velvet Underground? Yeah, you could even consider the Velvet Underground and some of the stuff that they did is goth. Or even, like, David Bowie. But it wasn't considered goth yet. The Bauhaus claimed it. When did they claim it? 1978. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. So that's, I guess that's what makes Gothtober fun because we are not keeping a narrow definition (laughs) on it. But this definitely did inspire other bands who were goth to sound more like Joy Division. I mean, even though The Cure and Joy Division came out around the same time, The Cure did become bigger than them or whatever quicker, but the whole entire thing about Joy Division is like they inspired them to be darker. So if it wasn't for Joy Division, there wouldn't be this dark trilogy of Cure stuff and Susie and the Banshees and all this other stuff. So definitely they are the quintessential goth band to me because like I think they even inspired emo music too because just the way the lyrics and how it's it's really getting into Ian Curtis's head, like especially closer. And the thing about Joy Division too is that when they formed and when they were when they were touring, Ian Curtis had his first seizure. And so he was having these epileptic seizures all over the place and they didn't really know how to deal with it. So him not knowing how to deal with his seizures and just being like more embarrassed and sad than anything. And then his band, because they're young, not knowing how to deal with him having these seizures and him just being really, really sad. They didn't know how depressed he was. 
they had a song crying and they'd be like, oh, okay, well, that kind of sucks. We have so much more knowledge about like mental health now, like today, like it's still so stigmatized, like depression and stuff. Just imagine then, (laughs) like it's like not talked about at all. And like you said, if someone has a medical condition, they didn't often help you out with your emotions too. The worst part about like Ian Curtis and Closer is like here he is pouring his heart out into these lyrics, right? And the band, his friends, when they're recording, they didn't really pay attention to what he was saying. They're like, oh yeah, that creates a tone. That's a great tone. It sounds great. Da, 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 da. He had a history of depression, but it was more people were surprised when he killed himself. Yeah. Until they actually listen to the lyrics. Well, if you look at just the titles of these songs on this album, it's yeah. Atrocity <laughs> Exhibition, which I was joking, is like, that's the news. Isolation, Passover, A Means to an End. Yeah. Dead Souls. <laughs> like, there's so much that's like sad. Yeah, definitely. Was he married or had a he girlfriend was or anything like that? Okay, so there is a... I don't know a lot, sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. We're going to get right into this right here. There is a movie about Ian Curtis and his love affair. It's called Control. And that's actually written by his wife. And supposedly, he met this journalist and fell in love with her. But supposedly, the journalist denies everything. They were just mutual friends or whatever. Oh, so he was married. And then the wife believes he had an affair on her with a journalist. Yes. But the journalist is like, no. This never (laughs) happened. But they had like a connection of some sort. Like they're friends or something. Like they obviously communicated. Yeah, they're friends or whatever. I've never seen Control, but I heard it's actually a really, really, really good biopic because it does not sugarcoat anything. Hmm. That might be interesting to watch. It's just funny because you're thinking like, if you didn't get any, like anyone admitting to it, then it's like, is it just some wife's conspiracy theory? <laughs> like spinning out of control. And, and it's kind of interesting because the way I watched a couple scenes from it and they were talking about like how even the wife and his girlfriend didn't know who he truly was because he never really talked much, he never really interacted much. He was just kind of there. That's odd. And then I wonder if his medications he was on contributed to some of his depression. Well, that could be it too, but he probably wasn't even on medication at the time. Well, if he was having seizures. Well, this was in the 70s, though. I figured they might put him on some heavy, you know, like something dumb. (laughs) It didn't work, but maybe. Yeah, so I guess it was during the time when they opened up for the cure and they thought they were going to make it big and there was only like 12 people there. (laughs) they're like this and that's when he had his first seizure and so throughout the years you know he would get them more and more and get more and more depressed and by the time it got the closer they were going to go on their big tour to america and a day before that he hung himself did he leave a note in front of his own kid yeah he left a note and everything in front of he had a child he had a child but he wanted a divorce and he said just to leave me alone or she wanted a divorce. I can't remember exactly. 
and then he hung himself. It was bad. The marriage wasn't doing well. Yeah, so that's yeah. why she had suspicions of maybe a affair. Yeah. They also married young as teenagers. And, you know, that never really works out too well. Mm-hmm. And she got a regular job. And she was actually kind of supporting him because he wanted to pursue his career in music. It's really sad, just like his mental illness and everything, because I have a feeling they would have had a lot more to offer if he didn't kill himself. Yeah, he had a very short life then and wasn't in. Yeah. If you listen to Closer, you could definitely hear how he feels like he's being more separated from the band, and that's why he offed himself, too. So, and the album is only... Let's see here. I think it's only like 30 some odd minutes or something like it's really, really, really good. It's 44 minutes. I'm sorry. And it's nine tracks all together. And there's two versions of it on Spotify where you can get a collector's edition or the other one. There's like a 2007 remaster and there's a 2020, right? Collector's edition has like, I think just some live stuff by them. So it's mm-hmm. not like that bad. A lot of people know him for a level Terrace Apart, which I guess was around the same time they released Level Terrace Apart after he died, but they would play it live, if I remember right. It's so good and it's very forward thinking how the scene did change more towards what he was doing, his idea. And if you think about if Joy Division really didn't know how to play instruments and they said that it was Ian Curtis that was encouraging him to play a certain way. So pretty much he wrote the songs in a way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They would play these riffs. He goes, no, make, make it a little bit darker. Oh, that sounds really good. So he would kind of encourage him to sound a certain way. Then, yeah, he did really shape certain scenes. Like a lot of different scenes. They and this band has inspired so many different bands from like The Cure to Interpol to She Wants Revenge to U2 to Danny Brown. I mean, just so many different bands. I mean, countless. Joy Division is like one of my favorite bands ever because. I think the album I like a little bit more is uh, Still, which is a collection of studio songs that never got released onto their other two albums. It's like these punk riffs, but it's not like these pop punk riffs. They're like kind of deeper in a way than just like pop stuff and saying, ah, f- the system. And, and the thing I noticed about whoever was recording him, which was probably this Hannett guy, he really didn't know what to do with his voice in a way because it was such a unique voice. And sometimes he would sound like Jim Morrison, but a very unrefined Jim Morrison. And other times he just would sound like almost like this nasally direct voice in a sense. It would be interesting if he stayed alive and they could have experimented more and kept refining their work. Yes, very, right? very like much so. There's a rawness so. to them that I think that's what's very attractive about it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so 25 years after Ian Curtis's death, New Order actually did the true tour of what they were supposed to do, playing Joy Division songs. So they took that 12-date tour or whatever through America as Joy Division. Who sang? Uh, the singer of 
what is it called? New Order. New Order. I don't really know much about New Order except for they're a part of Joy Division. I like yeah, some right? of these songs. Like, <laughs> no, that's cool. That's good for them to like as a tribute. That's and Joy Division, if you do, nobody knows what Joy Division is, it was a German camp of brothels in World War II. Also, <laughs> AKA the House of Dolls. You know, what's also really creepy is the, the way Ian Curtis took his life was he spent the night watching this Werner Herzog movie. And then he was like, well, I'm going to go hang myself now. I wonder, yeah. Hmm. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, the Werner Herzog movie is Sterozek, a ballad. Are you familiar with any Werner Herzog movies or anything like that? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> I vaguely know who he is because of Bart, but now I can't remember why I know that name. He's in that new Star Wars thing, The Mandalorian, as one of the bad guys. But he's also known for doing these really incredible, like, documentaries. He also has done, like, some other, like, crazy movies that, like, just make no sense. But Was his movie depressing or was it just, like, he just, it's just a side fact that he was watching a film? Yeah, it's a side fact he was watching the film. It must have been sad that he felt disconnected from everything. Like, his marriage falling apart, not feeling connected to his band. And then his own illness and then having a child. It must just felt, he must have felt overwhelmed. When people felt overwhelmed. That's not the answer. It's like never the answer. They need someone to listen to him and like talk through it. And it doesn't seem like anybody was really giving him that. Yeah. Once you say things out loud, sometimes it's not as bad as you think in your mind. Like your mind can really shift to thinking things are, are really, really bad. And even if it is really bad, you can usually work it out or find some support. So right. Right. Sad. I know I mentioned this. I might edit out the other part. He took his life and then his family, his bands were start, started to listen to the lyrics, his friends too. And they're like, Oh my God. This guy was truly depressed. <laughs> I don't so, feel like idiots. Like, it's just like, really? Like, hello? Uh, yeah. Well, with the band, they were, like, they were just going, like I said before, they were just going along with the the feeling of the music. And they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. Blah, 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 blah. But then when they, you know, when you're in the moment sometimes and when you're young, you just don't know any better. <laughs> That's true. It's not like he was like dragging around if they're like recording and making music. You're like, well, it's not like he was like holed up in his room, not leaving his house. And, you know, like he was still performing and yeah. practice. But like, I mean, I think one of his last performances, he had a seizure because the lighting guy put on a strobe light and they said, whatever you do, do not turn on a strobe light around this guy. Da, 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 da. And he turned it on anyway. He had a seizure. And so, like, they knew that he was depressed, but they didn't know how to deal with it. And also just interesting about the seizures, and this is something I'm just, I'm not making it up, I'm just thinking about it, is even people with brain injuries, you know, when they get the concussions, like when people get series of concussions, they often have as a side effect depression. So having like a seizure, I wonder if it was even just difficult to pinpoint because it might have been coming from the seizures and like whatever's going on with electricity in their brain, that he's just susceptible to this type of depression and no one's going to catch that, you know? Right. It's pretty sad to say the least. 
but the music is very good. It's and I just so want to reiterate, like once you start the album, you're like, oh, this is this isn't that dark. And then it hits a point that gets like super dark. Cause the music, maybe his words are all dark. Okay, I'll give you that. But the music is like kind of dancing, kind of more cool and whatever. And then when you hit like kind of like the last three songs, it just takes a turn. Oh, it gives you <laughs> chills. It's like, ooh. I don't know how often I'll be able to listen to this whole album, but there are songs on it I will listen to all the time throughout my week, if that makes sense. No, no, it's it's a really good album. It's just the whole entire package of Closer and everything. It's, it's, it's a pretty incredible album, to say the least. And I wish he was able to stay alive just to kind of... How can I explain this? <laughs> There's this one Doctor Who episode about Van Gogh. And if for anybody who ever wanted to get into Doctor Who, you should definitely see this one episode. And a lot of it is about how Van Gogh is able to see these monsters. They go back in time. They see Van Gogh. And no one believed him except for Doctor Who. And Doctor Who was the one that was trying to help him destroy these monsters. And and his gift to Van Gogh was to actually bring him to the future and have Van Gogh go to his Van Gogh museum and have someone explain who Van Gogh was. And I kind of wish there was a way to bring Ian Curtis to the future and show how important his music and how influential it really was. But that's just impossible. I like that idea, though, like this idea that you don't know what your influence is. And like, I don't think people really decide to take their lives, but I don't think it's in a state of mind that is like, it's in a distorted state of mind. So it's, it's almost not a choice, but just this idea of you don't know exactly the impact you're going to have. So like, why cut it short? Like you belong, right? Like you're part of the puzzle. So something like that. Exactly. I have favorite songs. First of all, I don't know. I like so many songs and there's not that many. Yeah. So. Let's maybe pick two each. Okay. And then I'm going to make everyone listen to part of Isolation because I like one of my favorite songs ever. song all right and what else i liked that one and a means to an end
That song is really interesting just because of the whole entire premise of it. But then the guitars, it's like everything's very cold sounding. And the guitar on the right, when it first comes out, it's a little bit louder in the front. And then he, it sounds like he makes a couple mistakes and they turn it down. And then they pan it to the left and stuff. It's, it's pretty interesting. I, I love that song, too. Yeah. What are your choices? <laughs> I like Heart and Soul. You see, this one's kind of an interesting song because it does make it sound like they're trying to make him sound more like Jim Morrison more than anything. I don't know if you've ever watched any live performances by Ian Curtis or Joy Division in general. Have you? I think they have. He dances really strange. When I was watching this one video, a lot of people think the reason why he does that weird shaking thing is to actually emulate what it's like to go through a seizure. Could see that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, wow. I have to watch more. No, it's very interesting watching that. My other favorite song is Decades. Ah, yes. But I might have to skip through it a little bit because like it it's the last song of the album and the end is such a weird release. To me, it's like the quintessential moment in Joy Division because it has like what he normally sounds like. But I think he sounds like really in a lot of his singing performances and everything. But then at the end, he's asking, where have they been or something like that, if I remember right. It just sounds like he's just going. He's leaving. So do you want to just play a little bit the kind of the beginning and then skip us forward. I'm going to play the end piece of it. Yeah, let's do that. That'll be cool.
gives you chills. It's so good. That's such a good song. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely amazing. I also forgot to mention this, like, the rest of the band. They are so incredible, too. I love the drums. I love, oh, God, Peter Hook. He's, like, one of my favorite bass players, aside from, like, Simon from si- Simon Gallup from The Cure. Like, this is definitely, like, one of my favorite bass players ever. Yeah, I mean, just playing Joy Division songs are a lot of fun. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the music, like all of it is really good. We just focus because, you know, the lead singer (laughs) has such a complicated story and um, history with the band, but it, yeah, didn't diminish that it was everyone in the band that made that sound. For sure. And don't forget also that like New Order became like very, very, very big. So whatever groundwork that they created musically, because it still amazes me that they didn't really know how to play instruments before Joy Division. It really did push them along to create New Order. So, and that's what's so amazing. You really got to be in the mood for this album. It's a deep album. You got to be in the right place for it, but it is Gothtober. So definitely. Yeah. So the, t- the setting is here. <laughs> It's not long and yeah. And I at least check out a couple songs off of it at a time because they're really good. The best, hmm, I'd say it's dystopian. It has this like weird dystopian, like cold feeling. And I heard a lot of that has to do with the Manchester sound in a sense. And of course, Ian Curtis's depression and how he was shaping the band to sound like this. So. Mm-hmm. It could be also like this crossover into like whatever cyberpunk becomes or became because it does have that kind of dystopian kind of sound to it. But at the same time, it's very romantic in a sense, too. That gives it its goth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> look at the cover, romance. too. <laughs> the cover is amazing. And if you look at Level Tears Apart, that's a great cover, too. And also, Love Will Tear Us Apart is on his gravestone. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, this is, yeah, this is definitely a must for Gothtober and yes, of in course. general, for music in general. It's like a pivotal album or band. I fully 110% agree. <laughs> anyway. You could find me on all social medias under Glitch Unicorn. And you can find me on a couple social medias as Sister Santos. Perfect. See ya <laughs> next week. <laughs> <laughs>